This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. New immunotherapy drugs are showing significant effectiveness against a broadening range of cancers, including rare and intractable tumors often caused by viruses. Now, these advances suggest that this treatment approach is poised to become a critical part of America's anti-cancer strategy. Here with more about his own research in this area is Dr. William Kerr. He's professor of pediatrics, microbiology, and immunology at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Dr. Kerr. Thanks so much for coming in. Hi, Linda. Good morning. So um, basically help us understand, we use the term immunotherapy. Give us more of a broad overview of what really is, what does that mean? Well, first of all, let's talk about, we're talking about immunotherapy and the concept of cancer. I mean, you could discuss that also in chronic infectious diseases like HIV and things like that. But let's focus today on cancer. Um, so we're, it's getting the, the, the basic approach or idea behind immunotherapy is getting the immune system to kill cancer, to surveil and look for cancer cells, metastases, residual cancer cells hiding in the body, perhaps after the initial treatment with cancer or radiotherapy, and then asking the immune system to go in and mop up any residual cancer cells, and including, importantly, the seeds of the next tumors. The, there is thought to be a cancer stem cell or a, a, a tumor cell for every, a stem cell for every tumor. So getting the immune system to basically clean up that those last bits and you might think those last bits aren't important, but that's what leads to relapse a couple months, a couple years down the road. So it's not so much as, an in, as it's uh, a sole treatment, but right now is more of adjunctive treatment. It is in the early days, but potentially, and we may see it become an upfront therapy when it, we get better at doing it and learn what the limitations are and what, where it can work really well. It could be that it could be a first-line therapy, but... I think a lot of the approaches, uh, and this sort of happens in cancer, uh, the first phase one clinical trials ha are done with patients who have failed other therapies. You know, of course, why put somebody through something when there's an effective therapy and it works? Don't try a new therapy on those people. So uh, frequently it's done with patients who fail therapy, and that's why we've seen successes, for instance, in melanoma, which has been a very tough cancer to develop new therapies for. Uh, some new compounds came along in the last couple of years that uh, that turn off the genes, the oncogenes that help melanoma survive, but the melanoma cells quickly become resistant to those. So we had to turn to other things. Immunotherapy was tried, and that's why it's, I believe there's now an approved, FDA approved drugs to uh, treat melanoma. So Jimmy Carter was one example that comes right. to mind, mm -hmm. and he had basically a metastases to his liver. And he's and actually stopped therapy because it's worked so well. Not, so, be, not because it didn't work. He halted his therapy because, I mean, I, I'm not his physician. I don't know the exact, but from what he said publicly, that it, they felt that his, his disease had been controlled by the new therapy. So that's, that's really striking and remarkable. Tell me about your work, though. You're doing mm. mice models. Right. What are you trying to, what have you, what are you trying to accomplish? In well, th this came out of two distinct areas of research in my lab. We've been working on this gene called SHIP1, SHIP1, which is uh, we found was important for cancer cells to survive. So we developed small molecules uh, about seven, eight years ago that turned off the SHIP gene, and we found they could kill various hematopoietic cancers, blood cell cancers like leukemia and lymphoma. So uh, then, just let's so for the layperson, you developed little molecules mm -hmm. that you literally would inject into. 
the blood of a, of a mouse? Yes, we could in, in treat the mice with the compound, inject the, the compound. It would go throughout their body. And uh, we, for instance, have already published it can actually kill human multiple myeloma cells, tumors, growing in a mouse that has no immune system. So as, as cancer models, we want to study human tumors. We, and when we're first studying things, we can't do a clinical trial in patients. That would be too dangerous. So we, we study them in, in mouse models. So we can actually implant human tumors and get them to grow in mice that have no immune system. Because if they had, mice had an immune system, they'd immediately kill the human tumor cells, and that wouldn't be a very useful model. So uh, with these new inhibitors of shit, we first showed they were basically acting like chemotherapies. They could directly attack the cancer cells. But then a graduate student in my lab, actually an MD-PhD student, Matt Gumbleton and I came up with this idea that, because we've been working on the SHIP gene and NK cells, and we found that by making a genetic mutant of the SHIP gene, we, the, these natural killer cells that normally attack tumors in the body were turned off when the SHIP gene was mutated. They didn't work well. So, so that was working against your... That was working against the idea. But then we came up with this sort of counterintuitive hypothesis that because this negative regulator, the SHIP1 gene, when we mutated, made NK cells not work so well. And the NK cells? Are, are, are attacking our immune cells, lymphocytes, that kill both cancer cells and virally infected so the, cells. So the unexpected or the unwanted consequence of your SHIP gene mm. alteration was that you were actually limiting the immune yeah. system. And But it led, it led to this idea that, and this is an idea that's been circulating in the NK cell field, that if NK cells are chronically turned on, always turned on, they eventually hit a point where they just turn off. They become disarmed. And we said, okay, we have these chemicals that can turn off the SHIP gene, and we can turn it off and, let, and then let the cells rest and, and be, go back to normals. Uh, in other words, we can temporarily turn off the SHIP gene using these chemical inhibitors, whereas a genetic mutation completely turns off the gene, and the NK cells are just going to burn themselves out. They'll be constantly active. So you bus, bottom line realize that there is an alternative way to, yes. to um, basically control the, sh the, the SHIP gene. Right. Turning it on and turning it off. To what end? What was the goal of that? The goal was to find, test the hypothesis. If we just temporarily turn off the SHIP gene, maybe we can actually make the NK cells hyper-responsive, better killers, because we're not getting them to the point that they disarm. They're chronically turned on and, and become disabled. If we can just temporarily turn off, take off, take this break off them, they'll kill maybe for a couple days and, and wipe out, potentially wipe out tumor cells. So anyway, it was kind of a, a little bit of a, 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 a wild idea, but uh, Matt and I tried it, and it worked in a mouse lymphoma model. So mice with lymphoma growing in, that, that's, uh, uh, we found that we could uh, extend their survival by treatment with this, these SHIP inhibitors, and, and, what, and, and importantly, we could get long-term survivors. So what, what we said then was, okay, if we, we are actually arming the NK cells, making them better killers of tumor cells, by using exquisite control of the SHIP gene, using chemical inhibitors, just turning it off for like two, three days, now these NK cells could go around the body, surveil and look for tumor cells, in this case lymphoma, and kill them and actually extend survival to mice. And even we got some long-term survivors that lived out for a year. A mouse, a laboratory mouse lives for typically two years. So a year is a long time. That's 
you know, maybe 30, 40 years. So you basically had some success. Let me get to the point, though, that you recently have gotten a Fulbright, and you're going to be doing further study about that. But hold the thought for a second. Sure. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm Linda Cohen along with Dr. William Kerr. We're talking about his research into immunotherapy as a method for treating cancer. So you have this Fulbright. What exactly does that mean, first of all? Well, so the Fulbright scholarship is, I think, these are 50-plus years uh, old uh, and what they do is uh, the government, uh, through the Fulbright scholar, Ful- William Fulbright was a senator, of course, and he started this program. He wanted uh, academics and scientists in the United States to be able to travel abroad, interact with other scientists, academic colleagues internationally. And uh, so I am eligible for a sabbatical every six to seven years. And I, I said, I'm going to go do a sabbatical. And I applied to last August to the Fulbright and what they've done is they've given me uh, six months of support. Uh, uh, Upstate will, of course, as part of my sabbatical, uh, continue to pay my salary. But what the Fulbright does is it, you know, it helps me pay for the rent. You know, I have to have an apartment to live. I'm going to France, by the way. And, um, you know, so it provides uh, money for me to it enables me to go away for six months. So why France, first of all? Well, so there's a really very prominent uh, Center for Immunology in Marseille, the Center for Immunology Marseille Lumini. Its director is Eric Vivier. Eric Vivier and I have been uh, collaborators for now several years. We just published a paper in the Journal of Immunology about a year ago that was featured by the editor. So we've had a, a track record of success together. And Eric, like me, is also working on a, a break or an inhibitor of natural killer cells, a different enzyme. And we both have this idea that when these breaks are turned off in natural killer cells, they become, they get into a state where they're constantly active, but counterintuitively that constant state of activity leads them to eventually just turn off and say, okay, I'm going to quit now. In other words, they kind of, they kind of burn themselves out. Burn themselves. That's a great way to put it. And they be, they still exist in the body. They don't die, but they're sitting there basically not doing their job, they're ineffective. They're sort of tired, <laughs> if you will. So, so we we've developed these. Like I said, uh, I've pioneered these small molecule inhibitors of my break, the ship one gene. And so I wrote to Eric and I said, uh, I want to come, spend six months with you, do a sabbatical. We can work on this idea together. I can also help you target your your enzyme, your break. And let's apply for a Fulbright scholarship. And he wrote a letter of support for me. I actually had to write a five or six page proposal on what I would actually do if I, while I was in, in Marseille working with Eric. And that was uh, the peer review committee obviously liked it because uh, I was awarded uh, this uh, last well, winter. C- congratulations on that. <laughs> that thank you. So the bottom line is you're going there. You're going to be spending, I guess, next fall you're going to be going and you're going to be spending six months. September through probably February, possibly into March. And working along with Dr. Vivier. Right. And trying to basically both help his research, but also continue to pursue your own. That's a a point of the Fulbright is to have that collaborative interaction, not just me benefiting or Eric benefiting, but have a sort of a mutual synergistic. And that leads me to my next point. Isn't more and more, aren't there more and more efforts being made throughout uh, scientific research to support and encourage collaboration? I mean, I know that... um, 
this, this Sean Parker has, has come up with a lot of money for a new institute, but there have been others, efforts to try to take individual scientists who historically have been functioning in their own little silos and getting them to actually collaborate, yeah. work together, and actually, in that sense, move uh, scientific advances forward at a much more rapid right. pace. So the, the cancer moonshot, and, and uh, as I, it, I was just down in, in Washington, D.C. as part of a SUNY, and we heard the N NCI, National Cancer Institute, people talk about the cancer moonshot. And this that's a government President initiative. President Obama's initiative to, like we had a moon, uh, Kennedy predicted, we'll right. go to the moon by this date. He's saying, let's accelerate cancer research by providing a bolus of money for the next five years. Maybe we can, instead of trying to cure cancer in 10 years, let's try to cure it in five years. Because think about how many lives we'll save if we do that. Right. So I, I, the numbers I've seen, and don't hold me this, because there's always budgetary discussions going on, and there could be $600 million devoted. There may be funding initiatives that are going to be announced next winter for those. To get scientists to, if you will, come out of their silos, work together collaboratively to try to accelerate the pace of research. But there seems to be some concern about some un unintended consequences with some of the mm -hmm. immunotherapy that, and we only have a little bit of time. I mean, sure. are you concerned? What are your major But we're already concerns? seeing that with the first generation immunotherapies. They're working very well, and I don't mean to sound negative about them. If I had metastatic melanoma, I'd be on that drugs too. But there have been significant side effects. So there's a reason these breaks have been put on the immune system that they've evolved. The immune system has to be tightly controlled so it doesn't got to control and attack normal healthy tissues. We are seeing that with some of the immunotherapies. In many cases, those have not been life-threatening. I think in some cases they have. But on balance, it, and that's why they're approved drugs, there's been a huge benefit. So I think that the hope in the future is that you will learn how to turn these breaks on and off in a way that can only benefit us and perhaps kill cancer in a new and different and maybe more effective way. That's the hope with our inhibitors because they allow us very precise control. We can give them the chemical only hands around for a long time. Terrific. Sure. Well, thank you so much for coming in. You're welcome. My guest has been Dr. William Kerr, Professor of Pediatrics, Microbiology, and Immunology at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air.